welcome to Live and Improvised. Over the next few episodes, we'll be focusing on two styles of Zimbabwean music, Mbira music and Chimarenga music. Before we talk about those musics and listen to some examples, I want to set Zimbabwe in a short context. Zimbabwe is a small country in southern Africa. Um, it's smaller than South Africa, and its population is more rural. About 20% of Zimbabweans live in urban areas, while the rest live in rural areas and work in farming, herding, or as farm laborers. Now, this is a trend that's contrary to a major trend on the African continent since the 1960s, but it's also important to note there's a lot of interchange between urban and rural areas. Many urban Zimbabweans move, move back to rural areas um, for either extended parts of the year um, or return frequently for traditional cultural celebrations. Most people, about 80% of Zimbabweans, are Shona, which is the dominant ethnic group in Zimbabwe, and they speak the Shona language. English is also widely spoken, for reasons that probably won't surprise you at this point. From 1890 to 1980, Zimbabwe was occupied as a British colony. In the 1880s, the British South Africa Company annexed land in the area then known as Rhodesia, killing and or displacing the native inhabitants. This actually runs contrary to our assumption that much colonial occupation was led by nation-states, but sending in a company first, and then having the state take over once a company became insolvent, is a pattern you can see over and over again with British colonization. For example, you can compare Rhodesia slash Zimbabwe with India. There's also parallels with America and South Africa. In 1923, Rhodesia became a self-governing colony of the British Empire. Think Canada between 1867 and 1931, if that helps at all. Most importantly for our purposes, though, it was during colonization that many different ethnic and linguistic groups were lumped into the formation of quote-unquote Shona by the British, and this group was repressed and disenfranchised during this period. In 1961, a constitution was established, the Privileged White Minority Rule, similar to apartheid in South Africa. The Rhodesian settlers declared their independence from the UK four years later, with their unilateral Declaration of Independence, launched on November 11, 1965. This was a colonial uprising dissimilar to several other colonial uprisings you might be familiar with, as a white minority government, which was not representative or inclusive, separated from a more distant white majority government that had been ruling from afar. Outside of this difference, though, the Rhodesian Revolution can be placed in the context of revolutions that swept the globe after the Second World War, impacting places as disparate as Nigeria, Jamaica, and India, among many others. During this period, when self-determination was sweeping around the globe, many African nationalists began to campaign and fight for black rule. The repressive treatment of the native black majority by this occupying white minority in Rhodesia led to another revolution, this one a war of liberation. A bloody 15-year war marked by guerrilla fighting, the limited use of chemical and biological weapons, and international censure lasted until 1979, when a general election was held. This election ended the war and transitioned Rhodesia to majority rule. The nation of Zimbabwe was established in 1980, and Zimbabwe's political landscape since then had been dominated by Robert Mugabe, who served as prime minister for eight years and then president for 30 years, from 1987 through November of 2017, when he quote-unquote resigned, largely at the insistence of the military, backed by popular support. Mugabe was a dictator, and his nearly 40-year rule was marked by several years of human rights abuses, genocide, corruption, torture, violence against political supporters, election fraud, failed price controls, economic instability, and inflation. At one point, the Zimbabwean government was printing trillion-dollar bills. Mugabe was finally ousted in the 2017 coup, resigning under the threat of impeachment, and he died, thankfully, in 2019. 
Over the next couple weeks, we're going to focus on two styles of Zimbabwean music. One of these is Chimarenga, a style of urban popular music. Chimarenga first emerged in the 1970s during the liberation struggles, and the music was connected with the fight to liberate majority formation black natives from the minority form by formation some wealthy urban black natives and white occupiers slash settlers. The name Chimarenga itself translates as liberation war or fighting in which everyone joins in the Shona language, and song lyrics often address this liberation war. These lyrical themes became one way of creating and sustaining individual identity and of establishing a national formation based on opposition to white minority rule. Musically, the style fused earlier Zimbabwean and South African popular guitar styles with the traditional harmonic patterns of the Mbira, which we'll talk about here in a moment. The use of the Shona language, politically active themes, and the use of traditional instruments all mark Chimarenga as, express, as an expressly political music. To this day, Chimarenga remains a vibrant style. Quote, While the yesteryear Chimarenga music was an inspirational tool for protesting against colonial rule, today's struggle has been dynamically rebranded to comport with emerging social challenges. End quote. Today, the music entertains, educates, informs, and raises awareness of the social issues of the day. It also keeps people conscious of the ordinary vagaries of life, prodding them to realize where they stand in the chronicles of history. In this way, Chimarenga music is related to another contemporary style of Zimbabwean urban protest music, Zim Dance Hall. We'll talk more about this style and about one of its key practitioners, Thomas Mapfumo, in a subsequent episode. If you like what you hear in that episode, you might check out more music from Thomas Mapfumo. You might also like Oliver Mudukudzi, who fused Chimarenga music with other styles, including reggae, and the Bundu Boys, who combined Chimarenga with American pop music and Congolese rumba to create a new style called Jeet. I also highly recommend a recording called The Rough Guide to the Music of Zimbabwe, as an introductory recording displaying a range of Zimbabwean popular and traditional musical styles. The other style of music we'll focus on during these episodes is Shona Mbira music. The Mbira is a type of lamellophone, which is an instrument whose sound is created by the vibration of thin pieces of metal. If you've ever seen a thumb piano, it's a very similar instrument. You have a small wooden block, a bar, metal bar that resonates like the bridge on a guitar does, and it also holds little metal pieces uh, called lamella, hence lamellophone. And you basically play these with your thumbs and your index finger on your, on your right hand. The Mbiras are an important part of a family of African musical instruments. Ethnomusicologists identify seven different geographical regions in which lamellophones like the Mbira are distributed, and each region is associated with a specific musical style and a performance convention. Of these seven regions and traditions, Westerners know the most about the instrument, histories, and forms of the lamellophone from the Zimbabwe-Zambezi region. This instrument is known specifically as an Mbira Zabuzimu, the tray-shaped block of wood with 22 or 23 lamella or keys. Like I said, you play the mbira with three fingers, sort of like a thumb piano, but because the instrument is quite quiet, you often hold the instrument in a large resonating chamber called a deze. Both the mbira and the deze are often ringed with bottle caps, beads, shells, or other materials. These buzz and rattle as you play and help create what's known as a cloaking effect, um, which ethnomusicologist Thomas Trino describes as an important part of participatory music. In this music, um, the, the goal is to get everybody involved, so you don't necessarily have a distinction between musicians and non-musicians. Um, you have participants and people who aren't yet participating. So because you have this cloaking effect, it's easy for people to join in or to fade out of the texture. It wouldn't stand out like it would, um, like say, for example, in an orchestral concert when you all of a sudden you would notice if the violin just decided to stop playing. 
Imbira was not often played by the 1930s, um, which is analogous to the Scottish bagpipe. Imbira performances were repressed as a way of eliminating a national formation that the colonial occupying powers viewed as threatening. A revival of Imbira music began in the 1970s. This revival was sparked in part by ethnomusicologists and can be understood within a larger awakening of national consciousness as part of the struggle for national liberation in Zimbabwe. If you like this, uh, this music um, and some of the music you'll hear later, there are several excellent recordings of source music from this period in the 70s. Um, there's a record called Shona, Zimbabwe Shona and Bureau Music that you can find on Spotify. And it's made from sound uh, from archivist recordings from this period. Um, there's also many other collections, and we'll hear some of this later on in future episodes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>